Welcome, everybody, to Movie Geeks United, another Blu-ray roundup. This time, we're exploring the month of February 2021. 2021. So what do we got? Is it a good month? Well, I thought there were some pretty high-caliber titles this month uh, for February. There's, uh, I was, um, I received luckily a, a large percentage of the titles that were released. Some months are better than others, and they they sent me a lot of review product, and most of it was good. There's quite a few things in here that uh, I was very well aware of, but had just had never. There were blind spots for me, so it gave me an opportunity to revisit some of them and to see them see some of these for the first time so uh, i was i would say overall i was i was pleased personally okay well that's uh, what matters yeah and i was able to get to all the product that was sent to me i actually got i watched everything that was sent to me this month and it was probably i don't know about 14 15 titles maybe 20 i don't know something like that so it was quite a few wow we always start at the beginning of the month, so we'll start with February 2nd. And Paramount has picked up the distribution for the DreamWorks titles, and there are quite a few of those from the late 90s when DreamWorks was, was first ramping up before they did the Shrek films and before they really had a bona fide hit. They were dipping their toes in all kinds of water, just trying to see what would stick, you know, and they did uh, uh, a, a couple of, quite a few things that have never been available on Blu-ray. Actually, one of them is Mouse Hunt from 1997, which starred Nathan Lane, of course. And uh, I always thought that was a pretty funny movie, actually. I uh, was surprised. I didn't see it theatrically because it, uh, the trailers did not do a good job selling it. And I thought, I think I'll pass. And then it turned up on cable. And I remember my daughter was, uh, she was about a year old at the time. And I was, my ex-wife was out of she was working that night working late and so i had my uh my daughter with me we just sat there on the kitchen while i laughed and i laughed and i laughed i just it, it really it was slapstick of the best kind uh, i thought and i never um, watched it that's christopher walken's the exterminator right or? yes 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 i have a, i have a hunch you would enjoy it i really do it's Gore uh, verbinski is he the one yes okay well of course he's a natural for the ring after watching something like mouse hunt well, it's uh, it's the humor in it is very um, uh, I I don't know it's it, it's kind of the same same type of humor you might find in something like the Blues Brothers or something like that. It's kind of that same style, uh, kind of anarchic, I guess you would say. I don't know. There's a lot of destruction and mayhem, but I don't know. I found it to be very very funny and a lot of great slapstick. They, these two guys would have made a great comedy team i can't remember the person who plays nathan lane's brother i can't remember that actor but anyway um uh very very funny and i would recommend seeing mouse hunt for anybody who missed it because it's uh it'll put a smile on your face i think um yeah it's <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty good pretty good so uh small soldiers from 1998 the following year that was another dreamworks release i think this was the final film of phil hartman released posthumously and uh, I want to say – I might be wrong about this, but I want to say Joe Dante directed Soldiers, I believe. But yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't receive a review copy of Small Soldiers, and I did not see it when it came out. I have not. That's a blind spot for me, so I can't I think really – I saw some of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, – you know, it was pretty ballsy of um, of them to start their own studio, DreamWorks, and you – know, Yeah. Because they were kind of – Odds are against them. I was watching this documentary on John DeLorean the other day, mm -hmm. 
and he left GM and he decided to start his own car company and the odds were certainly against him and uh, didn't work out very well. But it, anytime, <laughs> anytime anyone goes on a venture like that, I mean, it's really a Herculean effort. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, the, like you said, the odds were against him and eventually they, uh, you know, things didn't turn out quite so well in the end, but they were, they were on a roll there for a while. So you have to give it to them. Yeah. Remember their first release? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know Ants was in the was one of the early ones, the one Woody Allen voiced. <laughs> you would never see an animated film voiced by Woody Allen these days. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that was an early one. Uh, I um, boy, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not. I might I, be. I, I might be wrong, but I think it was the Peacemaker. I think you're right. Yes, uh, was, and then uh, uh, the Neil Jordan in Dreams was an early title from them. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right because it was late '97 when those came out. Yeah. Whatever happened to the director of the Peacemaker? She did Deep Impact, and then Mimi was, Letter. Yeah, Mimi Letter. What? Uh, what is she doing television I'm now? Damned, I'm pretty sure that she got in, into te- television, and she's done some high-profile work there. Is she the Deep Impact? lady as well or is that someone else i think so i do believe so let's look her up yeah mimi letter she was on a and that was another dreamworks i think production a deep impact i believe the morning show she did an episode of that uh, okay on the basis of sex was her last film that she directed okay just uh two and a half or so years ago Okay, good. I'm glad she's still uh, still the cranking Ruth, out films. Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. Right, sure. Yeah, good. Good for her. I'm, I'm glad to see that. Uh, well, uh, another Paramount title. Uh, this is not a Paramount release, but uh, not a Paramount DreamWorks release. It's uh, Ladybugs, Rodney, da- Rodney Dangerfield from 1992. The soccer thing, right? Yeah, the soccer thing, which was kind of, you know... He, um, Back to School was such a huge hit, and you kind of expected that maybe, you know, he would coast on that and uh, do, crank something out real quickly right after that. And it took six years before he headlined a movie again, and this was it. And it wasn't very well received, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was PG, I believe, or PG-13, which was really – well, Back to School was PG-13, but I think this might have been PG, which is even more um, – Family friendly, I guess you would say, and you don't think of Rodney Dangerfield when you think of family friendly, exactly. So I don't know. Certainly not if you watch Natural Born Killers. Uh, no, not at all. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember Carson, but he 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 worked in movies pretty darn steadily. He did. Um, But I remember a Carson show where he was promoting that movie Easy Money, Mm -hmm. and Dangerfield was always so funny on Carson because I mean he had he had everything laid out. He had a joke a second. Carson knew to just kind of punt the ball his way, mm-hmm. um, and then when he when he ran out of jokes, I mean it was over. The conversation was done. But uh, it's funny that they showed a clip from Easy Money, and, and they played it. And I swear the clips back in the day, it was like they were playing the entire movie. I mean, just the clip just lasted forever <laughs> yeah it goes up for like three or, three or four minutes i know that's what they used to do on siskel and ebert because i've watched some of those old yeah. episodes and the same thing yeah and you're like come on <laughs> what's going on yeah so uh i like easy money i think it's a funny i think it's a funny rodney dangerfield vehicle i really do uh i watched i rewatched it recently and uh, there's a lot of good laughs in there if you mm. like uh, rodney it's a nice title song by billy joel too so, oh yeah yeah it is it is like that 
So, anyway, so we'll uh, talk about a couple other Paramount uh, DreamWorks-type things. Yours, Mine, and Ours. That was another remake of Yours, Mine, and Ours from 2005. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, the Dennis Quaid, Rene Russo, and uh, (laughs) that wasn't very well received either. I'm a huge fan of the original 68 version. It's quite funny, Uh, but I didn't see the remake because I was – uh, the the word was not too good on the streets about that one when it came out. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Renee Russo really had the the her her niche cornered in mm-hmm. the '90s. You you wanted the girlfriend or the or the wife or the you know, and she's exceptionally talented. I'm not putting her down, but sure, I mean yeah. she she stayed employed because she was casting a ton of stuff. She she was never hurting for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she was very, very busy there for a while. But and she's, but I think the performance of her career is Thomas Crown Affair. She's just oh, so great. Totally agree. Oh my God, she's great in that movie. Yeah, totally agree. And I liked it when they added her to the uh, Lethal Weapon franchise. She was in those last two they did. Yeah. She added a little, a nice little, uh, nice little element there. So uh, yeah. Uh, so a couple more Paramount titles. We got Lassie from 1994. Um, and then we have, let's see, that maybe oh yeah, one more Paramount title, Revolutionary Road, directed mm. by Sam Mendes and Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. That's a this slicer those, wrist movie. Yes, it's one of those DreamWorks. Uh, that was a, that was one of those DreamWorks titles that, uh, you know, they that they got the the rights to or whatever. Yeah, that uh, I remember they that that was the big selling point for that was. Finally, we have Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet reunited, and I thought, uh, well, it's, it's for the first time since Titanic. I thought, well, this is far cry from Titanic. <laughs> so, yeah, that would have been yeah. Revolutionary Road is the version if if neither one of them got on that plank. <laughs> I think somebody said that one time. It might have been uh, might have been Ari Lang, the comedian. I think oh, okay. Yeah, I think he was saying that. He said, if those two people... No, maybe it was Gilbert Gottfried. I, I, it was one of those two. Because uh, they were saying, you know, if those two had gotten together, you know, do you really think that marriage would have lasted? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a good movie. It's just... Yes. It's yes. one of those looking at d- the divorce through a microscope, kind of like with surgical precision, the downfall. Oh, yeah. It's about killed dreams and all that kind of stuff, and... Yes, that it is. Yeah, it's 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 a downer, but but an effective downer, I guess you would say. So yeah, I think uh, she was on a roll there for a while. Uh, Kate Winslet with the Little Children was another one that she did around that time. That's kind of a downer too. But boy, I love that movie. Yeah, uh, me too. Mate. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's still one of our top actresses. I oh, mean, if sure. you if you yeah. if you list the top five current actresses working. Mm-hmm. She's there. So she's, you know, they both really used the best of their Titanic leverage. They did. They did. You got to say that about both of them because they could have taken the easy paychecks and uh, I'm sure the temptations were there, but they they went for the riskier projects. So they used their clout to get some riskier stuff made and uh, good for them. Yeah. Got to give them some, some kudos for that. I would say so. Yeah, so Universal has issued quite a few titles uh, on February 2nd. Do the Right Thing in 4K. It has been previously issued by Criterion, and Universal's issued it on Blu-ray before, but now it gets the 4K upgrade uh, in time for Black History Month, I guess. That would be the timing for this. 
And there is a special Steelbook edition, limited edition, that you get over at Target. Uh, so they they have the the standard version you can get in most retail stores and or online, and then you have the the Steelbook edition if you're really into that sort of thing. So uh, this carries over all the previous extras from previous editions of Do the Right Thing, and there are quite a few uh, previous extras from the um, the previous Universal issue. So anyway, uh, Let Him Go, starring Nathan Lane. Uh, Nathan Lane. Diane like, Lane. I'll I like how that. you say that. Let Him Go. <laughs> Let Him Go. Uh, uh, Diane Lane will say that. Uh, Kevin Costner. And this, I think you saw this one. I saw it last week. Uh, I liked it. I liked it. I, I did too. I did too. Not not at all what I expected. I yeah, expected. and it's it's a movie that keeps you guessing. Like, where exactly is this going to go? How's this going to mm-hmm. turn out? You know. Yeah, I liked it very much. I did too. Very very, uh, very well well made, and it it's kind of leisurely paced. It kind of takes its time. It's art artfully done, and uh, just basically takes place in the fifties. For anybody who's listening and hasn't seen it, it takes place in the fifties, and this uh, couple, their middle aged couple, their grandson is uh, their their son dies at the beginning of the film, and their daughter in law remarries, and uh, she marries this guy who basically kidnaps her and. And her son and their and their grandson and so they go after them and that's what the plot of the film is. Yeah, I tell you what that turning point scene three quarters of the way in does the scene in the motel room. Mm-hmm. What it does is it it gears you for man anything could happen. Yes, you know. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of a kind of a surprise and a jolt. So yeah, Tesla has been issued also by Universal. This is the Ethan Hawke biopic from last fall. Or last summer, maybe it was. Um, yeah, so uh, no, I didn't get around to seeing it, so can't really comment on that. But the last blockbuster is not a Universal title, but it has been issued on Blu-ray. It's a documentary about the last blockbuster video store, and it's kind of an overall history of blockbuster video. Uh, and there are people who talk about the pros and the cons of blockbuster video in this documentary. They have a lot of yeah. notables talking about it, so... I did watch that. Yeah? Yeah, it's it's what you want it to be. It's a good kind of nostalgic look back and mm-hmm. you're wondering how they could keep that blockbuster open. But there were there were two blockbusters and I think one was in Alaska and Stephen Colbert uh, not Colbert um John Oliver mm-hmm. donated bought a lot of Russell Crowe stuff from an auction and donated mm-hmm. it to the uh, to that blockbuster. And then that blockbuster in Alaska closed, and so they gave all the Russell Crowe stuff to the other blockbuster that this documentary is made from. And there's actually oh. a section in the movie where they are putting it on display. Uh, but the, I mean, the blockbuster is a community kind of standard that a lot of people want to stay open, but it's a question of suppliers. Yeah. You know, are suppliers mm-hmm. going to cater to one store? How long yeah. will they do that for? You know. Good question. And she's, it's interesting because, and then it shows her, if movies don't come in from the distributor, then she goes to Walmart and buys them. Wow. Well, that's something. Yeah, that's uh, that was a problem. You know, the last major chain beside, you know, that was in existence was Family Video, and we had some of those in my neck of the woods over here in the Charlotte area, and. Uh, they closed. Uh, the chain shut completely down. I think two or three months ago, and uh, because we had two, at least two in the area, maybe three where I where I live, 
And they said uh, one of the reasons why they had to close was because there was no new product. You know, the new product just wasn't, you know, they could stay open. Nobody's coming in because there's nothing to rent. Yeah, there's a, a article that just appeared in the New York Times last week about VHS tapes and how there's still a big market for them among collectors. Like they'll spend thousands of dollars for a movie on videotape. Something like Krippendorf's Tribe or something. Yes. Was selling for thousands of dollars. Yeah, I think it's crazy. I <laughs> no, Kangaroo the, Jack. That's the one, Kangaroo Jack. Kangaroo Jack. Jeez. I mean, I went on, uh, I was doing just browsing around on eBay, and I checked out some of those VHS tape prices just out of curiosity. And the original Halloween 2 on MCA video that came out in, I guess, uh, early 1982 uh, it was, you know, it was just the standard VHS release, and I think it had gone for I don't know thirteen thousand dollars or something crazy like that. God, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, because it was I don't know. I think it was sealed. But how many times have I seen a VHS copy of Halloween Two, the original MCA home video release? Yeah. And it's like how many times have I seen that in in just the thought? Well, I, who wants that? It's subpar quality. I, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, it's, uh, now it's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. That's true. That's true. It's 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 pretty amazing. So uh, so we'll move along to a couple more Universal titles: the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman from 1974, landmark television film, multiple Emmy winner, Cicely Tyson playing the 110-year-old survivor of uh, the, the civil rights movement is basically seen through the eyes of this 110-year-old. A uh, woman who lived through it is what I was trying to say. But anyway, I uh, we uh, watched that oh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's an interesting. I know it was very well received when it came out. My reaction to it, it's a mixed bag. It's uh, it's it it covers a lot of the uh, the Civil War, and then it just basically jumps ahead to the Civil Rights Movement. And uh, so the there's about I don't know sixty or seventy years that's not even covered in the film. So it's a big gap, and uh, I, th- I just thought it was kind of – I wish the movie had covered more ground, if you know what I'm saying. That's my complaint, but uh, Cicely Tyson is fantastic in the movie, and, and the final scene in that movie is really a gut punch. It's uh, just so moving, incredibly moving, and so it's a mixed bag. Like I said, it's um, – didn't think it quite held up, but there are some good things there, so uh, – I, w- I would say that about the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, which was ironically released, I think, the week that Cicely Tyson passed away. So, mm. um, anyway, so Prime 2005, that's another Universal release, as is Kissing a Fool from 1998 and That Funny Feeling from 1965 and Circle of Friends from 1995. So That Funny Feeling, is that the Dennis Farina Bette Mittler? No, that's the one with uh, Bobby Darren and Sandra D. That's okay. in 1965. Although that has been recently issued by Shout Factory, I think. <laughs> or no, 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 Kino put that out recently. What is so the name? What is the name of the Bette Midler one? That's that that funny feeling. That's oh, the name of it. Yeah. Is it a remake? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's. I, th- I think it's a different. Movie. That old feeling is the that Bette old Miller. feeling. I thought okay. it was that funny feeling, but you're right. That old feeling. Yes. That funny well, that... feeling is the the about the guy that invented Viagra. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. So, couple keynote titles, and we'll just go through these real fast. Dark Intruder was a pilot that was uh, shot at the um, the same studio that. 
they filmed the Alfred Hitchcock Presents television show, and it was a it was a pilot for a show that never came to be aired actually, or never was you know they they never it never caught on. Leslie Nielsen stars in it, and it has a, a really aborted running time, like sixty five minutes. But it was released as a feature film because the pilot didn't sell, and so anyway, uh, Kino has issued Dark Intruder, this horror film from. Um, from 1965, and it uh, is pre- pretty well regarded. I haven't seen it, so I can't really say anything about it. The Great Alligator from 1979, starring Barbara Bach and Mel Ferrar, and Who'll Stop the Rain from 1978. Yeah. Uh, Carol that, Yes, that has been issued by Twilight Time the, uh, in, the, in the past, but it went out of print, and now Scorpion Releasing has issued it, distributed by Kino. So, and a couple more Kino titles. Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, double feature, not on the same disc. You have to get these separately. But A Man Called Adam from 1966 and Anna Lucasta starring Eartha Kitt uh, and Sammy Davis Jr. So, um, those are a couple of, uh, couple of uh, Sammy Davis Jr. titles from the... Yeah, keep your eye out for those. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, man. Good one. Yes. Elysium from 2013 has been issued in 4K. It's the Neil Bloomkamp follow-up to District 9, I guess it was. Um, anyway, My Bloody Valentine has been issued by... Which one? Screen Factor. The 1981 hmm. has been issued in a steel book. It came out last year in the standard Blu-ray, but now they've issued it as a steel book collectible. So... Anyway, and then we'll talk about the Criterion release of the Parallax View, which was a pretty big deal. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a review copy of this one. They sent me three other titles, but not the Parallax View, and that's the one I wanted the most. Mm. So, uh, nice, great, great, great movie, and uh, really yes. has picked up in esteem over the years. It seems like, you know, like ten years ago, all of a sudden, the Parallax View was the shit. When you were talking about conspiracy 70s thrillers, that was right at the top. Uh, I've always loved it. Always loved Gordon Willis's photography. Yeah, Paramount just announced uh, they're making TV series out of a a number of their most popular movies, and inexplicably, Parallax View is among them. I could see that happening. Yeah, that 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 makes total sense, I think. Uh, I think it would lend itself to a uh, serialized narrative. So, sure. Um, the extras here are interesting for anybody who's a fan of uh, the Parallax View. It may be worth picking up the disc just for these. There's an introduction by Alex Cox. And then we have a 1974 Alan Pecula interview that was held at the American Film Institute, where he discusses his background and working methods. And there are some specific observations about lensing choices in the Parallax View. It's audio only. But it's 18 minutes. And then we have an archived video interview from 1995. This is not long before his passing, uh, where, again, Alan Pecula was recorded by the American Film Institute. And he addresses some of the symbolic visuals in the Parallax View, as well as key themes. And then we have a 19-minute interview from 2004 with Gordon Willis. And uh, he discusses his collaboration with uh, Pecula. And uh, his use of light and the understanding of space in motion pictures, as well as the treatment of reality. And then we have John Borstein discussing working on the written psychological tech test and the parallax 
test video for the parallax view. So uh, anyway, that's uh, nice extras there, I think. Yeah. I tell you what, it really is. Uh, it does clue you in on <clears throat> the, the, the uh, what's the word for it? Uh, not pessimism, uh, the cynicism of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Where downer endings were just all the rage, you know, because, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, advance 10 seconds because I'm about to give away the ending. When Warren, <laughs> when Warren Beatty, one of the most beautiful men in Hollywood, when the movie ends when your hero played by Warren Beatty is shotgunned in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite, quite, uh, quite, an end, quite an effective ending for sure, and, uh, and yet it totally works. I think yeah. I can't and, and there's like no epilogue or anything. Once that happens, you're off it's to the open. credits. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. That's, That's what makes it so uh, it sticks with you. Yeah. So we'll move along to Elizabeth town from 2005. I think we discussed this one off the air. Um, I wasn't crazy about this uh, back in the day when I saw it in the theater, I guess my expectations were so high uh, after a Amer- uh, almost famous and uh, Jerry Maguire. So I was a little bit let down with this, but now revisit, Revisiting it to no uh, oh, 16 years later, I guess uh, I thought it worked a little bit better than I remembered it, and I really enjoyed. There's some very moving stuff in there. Um, I had forgotten some of the more um, uh, some of the plot points, and so it was a nice refresher. And I'm I'm gonna say I I like it. Uh, I'm not gonna say I love it up to the level that I love Almost Famous or Jerry Maguire, but I I I would definitely give it a marginal recommendation. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it holds up. Uh, there are deleted and extended scenes here uh, that are uh, introduced by Cameron Crowe. There's a new uh, featurette, Cameron Crowe on Elizabethtown. And there's on the road to Elizabethtown, the music of Elizabethtown, meet the crew featurette, training wheels featurette, and uh, trailers, TV spots, all that good stuff. It's part of the Paramount Presents line of titles and it's number 14 in the series so uh anybody who uh, wants to go back and revisit elizabeth town from director cameron crowe starring orlando bloom kirsten dunst it's about a guy who's going to kentucky to bury his father and uh meets the stewardess and he falls in love with her and all that good stuff and you know his quirky relatives in kentucky that play a part in the film and so uh you know uh like I said, it's it's worth catching. Uh, Love Story is another of the Paramount Presents titles, and this was uh, the number one film of the year 1970 and one of the films that helped put Paramount back on the map after it was almost sold in the uh, the mid-70s or the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, I meant to say. So anyway, this is a um, – in conjunction with this, you might have seen this, that Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw got their stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this month in conjunction with the release of this. They sent me uh, some photos and press coverage of it. Uh, yes, it has some new uh, features here. There's a new filmmaker focus, Leonard Malton on Love Story. There's a TCM introduction by Ben Mankiewicz. There's a commentary by Arthur Hiller. Uh, Love Story, a classic remembered, which is a, a, a short documentary and the theatrical trailer in HD uh, hard to believe Love Story was the number one film, grossing film of its year, but it was one of these things like uh, the, the previously mentioned Titanic. People just kept coming back for more. It had repeat value. So um, anyway, 
there you go. And um, Tourist Trap from 1979, which was a has a good score by Pino Donazio. I'll give you that. But it's basically uh, Chuck uh, Connors, I believe, is in this. It's about a uh, where these mannequins come to life and start attacking people, and it's has a cult following. It's previously been issued, but um, uh, there were a lot of complaints that it was cut on previous issues that wasn't completely unedited. So now it's been – I think it's Full Moon Video has put this out on Blu-ray, completely uncut, supposedly. So anyway, Tourist Trap from 1979. A couple more Kino titles here, uh, The Wings of the Hawk in 3D from 1953. Um, starring Van Heflin, Julia Adams. We have Suspect, starring Charles Lawton, which is from 1944. Jazz on a Summer's Day, which is a documentary from 1959. And um, The Hills Run Red and Devil Times Five. Devil Times Five, 1974. The Hills Run Red, 1967. And um, I think that might cover all the keynote titles for that particular day we also have man of the east with terrence hill from 1972 as well and so evil my love from 1948 that's another one those are all from february 9th they were issued and then uh we have some uh a couple of uh we have warner archive title here we have a tale of two cities the 1935 version produced by david oselznick the adaptation of the charles dickens tale of love and tumult during the French Revolution and very highly regarded. This includes an Oscar-nominated short called Audioscopics, two classic cartoons, Hey Hey Fever and Honeyland, audio-only bonus, a radio show adaptation starring Ronald Coleman, and the theatrical trailer, Ronald Coleman, Basil Rathbone, and Henry B. Walthall star in this adaptation, directed by Jack Conway, and it's a nice transfer from the good folks at Warner Archive and the Warner Brothers Motion Picture Imaging who put these things together. So The Little Prince from 2015 as an animated film Paramount has opted to release. Uh, I think Jeff Bridges does one of the voices on this. I didn't I, – I wasn't a title I was really familiar with. But um, anyway, it has been issued uh, by Paramount. So anyway, uh, so we have that as well. And then we have the – oh, let's see what we have here. We have the Arrow Video release of the El Deuce Tapes, which is a documentary of trying to – Hold on, just lost this. It's a documentary on the um, – oh, geez, I just lost my connection. Sorry. <laughs> Give me a sec. The El Deuce Tapes. It's a uh, a document. It's uh, In the early 1990s, the aspiring filmmaker Ryan Sexton lugged a giant camcorder into some of the seediest clubs and the filthiest apartments in Hollywood. There he filmed hour upon hour of VHS footage of the draw – droppingly offensive shock band The Mentors, focusing on their infamous lead singer, El Deuce. So it's basically a documentary about uh, the lead singer of The Mentors, El Deuce. It says, 30 years later, the team behind The Nightmare and Room 237 and the editor of Leap of Faith uncovered this dusty stockpile of long-forgotten and unseen footage. So there's some new extras here on this edition from Arrow. Uh, the Ryan Sexton tapes, a 34-minute illustrated audio conversation. Uh, more El Deuce tapes, which is, of course, outtakes. Um, t- 
take two of the Hollywood Reservoir, a piece of raw tape providing a peek behind the scenes of the process of shooting the footage. Uh, and there's some other featurettes as well. Uh, and there's reversible sleeve on the for the jacket. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, the El Deuce tapes. It was a documentary I wasn't really familiar with, but um, now I want to take the time to, to watch it. And that's one that I I, I uh, will seek out. So um, anyway, Six by Sondheim is a 2013 documentary on Stephen Sondheim. From it was originally aired on HBO, and now Warner Archive has put it out on um, on Blu-ray. So uh, there is this um, the documentary on the the great composer Stephen Sondheim. So anyway, we'll move along to February 16th, and we have uh, another. Paramount release Good Burger from 1997. I think this was another one of those maybe DreamWorks releases. Not sure. I know it was in conjunction with Nickelodeon, so maybe it was just a Paramount release. Not sure. But anyway, we have uh, The Jetsons, the movie from 1990. That's a Kino release. Uh, that was I remember they had high hopes for this as an animated film in the summer of 1990, and I think it uh, just went nowhere. It uh, Tina uh, or Tiffany rather, the pop singer Tiffany did one of the voices, and she had a uh, a single from it that uh, that went nowhere, so it was kind of dead on arrival. <laughs> and I think it was the final uh, animated uh, voicing of uh, George O'Hanlon, who did the voice of George Jetson. It was the, his final film appearance, I think, doing that uh, a, a cartoon character. He died, I think, before its release. But anyway, uh, we have a uh, Sony has issued the Net and the Net 2.0. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Net. 2.0. Sandra Bullock, of course, in the original The Net from 1995, and then The Net 2.0 from 2006. So we have those. Uh, A couple of Warner Archive titles uh, here. We have San Francisco from 1936, which is uh, stars Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy and Jeanette McDonald and... um, you know, it's a, it's basically a love triangle set against the uh, backdrop of San Francisco and uh, at the not long after the turn of the century of the turn of the 20th century, right around the time they had the earthquake. And, uh, of course, the film ends with the big earthquake and uh, the special effects are pretty impressive. Uh, really, even after all these years later, it's amazing what they were able to do. Uh, the movie itself, uh, the plot is a little bit hard to swallow, especially the end of the film, because uh Basically, Clark Gable's an atheist, and then suddenly in the last five minutes of the movie, he gets religion, and it doesn't quite work for me. Uh, he's being uh, – Spencer Tracy is a priest. They were boyhood friends, and now one of them's an atheist, and the other one's a priest. And then suddenly with the with the earthquake uh, happening, that, that proves to be the gigantic foxhole that uh, gets Clark Gable to stop being an atheist. So <laughs> anyway, uh, it doesn't – it feels a little forced. But that aside, there's some good things to uh, recommend. And uh, anyway, alternate ending sequence, uh, which included a shot of the uh, Golden Gate Bridge, which I don't think was in the original film. Documentary profile, Clark Gable, Tall, Dark, and Handsome, hosted by Liam Neeson. Two vintage talk uh, travel talk shorts, Cavalcade of San Francisco and Night Descends on Treasure Island, a classic cartoon bottles is another uh, cartoon included here and reissue trailer. So San Francisco has been issued by the good folks of Warner Archive, as has Baby Doll, Ilya Kazan's production of Tennessee Williams' 
baby doll. And this, uh, not sure if we did or not. It wasn't released until this month. Maybe I was just giving a teaser. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, it has been issued for the first time ever uh, by Warner Archive on Blu-ray, that is. It's, it was out on DVD years ago, of course. And uh, we have, um, you know, Carl Malden, Carol Baker, Eli Wallach. It's uh, kind of a love triangle as well here with Carl Malden and his uh, teenage bride and Eli Wallach trying to to horn in on his territory, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, Pauline Kale, there's a quote on the back of the Blu-ray. She says, it is a delight, wonderfully entertaining. The look of the film is amazing. Kazan does some of his finest work here. So Pauline Kale was a great fan of this film. Featurette, uh, Baby Doll, See No Evil is a special feature, and the Baby Doll trailer. And here's the interesting thing about this. It has actually been rated R, which I don't quite understand, but it, the MPAA gave it an R rating, even though it was made in 1956 after it was resubmitted for this release. So pretty interesting. So moving along, uh, other Kino releases. Uh, the Kid Stays in the Picture, the 2002 documentary of uh, Robert Evans. Uh, I think I still think the audio book is better, but, um, you know, it has its moments. <laughs> yeah, I think they did a good job with it. It's not bad. That was um, the first time I noticed the kind of the photography, uh, th- what they do in editing, how, how they make the p- photography three-dimensional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's endlessly entertaining just hearing him. Mm-hmm. That it is. Well, they issued another documentary, which has been previously issued on DVD, uh, but not Blu-ray, and that is Filmworker, which, in, in, in which you receive a screen credit at the end of the film. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> yes, it's uh, we don't want to forget these things. It's a well-deserved credit. But yeah, uh, very good documentary, I think, on Leon Vital, Vitali, um, uh-huh. Kubrick's assistant, Stanley Kubrick's assistant, who was at his beck and call for many years. And uh, yeah, so I, I think it's very well done. Uh, and enjoyed it quite a bit. I saw it actually at a film festival screening before it, uh, went into general release, and uh, that's the only time I've seen it, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. So, And uh, The War, starring Kevin Costner and Elijah Wood, is another Kino release from 1994. And uh, I remember him being interviewed a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how people approach him about all kinds of different movies that he's done, mm-hmm. and, and he takes that as a compliment because he's not known for one thing. Like, he made a... A variety of movies that meant something to people. And um, the interviewer said, does anyone ever approach you about the war? And he says, <laughs> "He says, well, actually, yeah, they do. <laughs> well, that's great. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Uh, yeah. So uh, The Cowboy Way is another film from 1994 that was issued on Blu-ray. Uh, that, uh, of course, with Woody Harrelson. And, and uh, that... Um, uh, was issued by Universal. That's not a Kino release. So, But another Kino release is Man with a Movie Camera from 1929. That's another one of their titles. Uh, as is The Underneath from 1995. We talked yeah. about this one off the air. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, crime thriller, which stars Peter Gallagher, uh, William Fichtner, and Joe Don Baker, Paul Dooley, Shelley Duvall, Elizabeth Shue. What a great uh, supporting cast wow, there. I didn't remember Shelley Duvall in it. 
Yeah, she's uh, she is. She plays a nurse at the end of the film when he's in the hospital, and uh, uh, yeah, but uh, pretty pretty tense. Pretty. It's at the end of the movie. Yeah, towards the end of the movie when he's in the hospital. I wonder if that's a reverse on the ending of The Shining that they cut out. (laughs) Makes you wonder. You never know. Or she's in the hospital and a nurse attends to her. (laughs) Yes. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Does that have a tennis ball in it? (laughs) (laughs) No tennis balls. No tennis balls. But, uh, you know, um, I know this was a film that uh, got ho-hum reviews when it originally came out as a remake of the novel uh, of Criss Cross. A novel by Don Tracy, which was earlier made in the 40s, I believe it was. But I thought it's a it's a pretty pretty well solidly done film. I know uh, Soderbergh has always said Steven Soderbergh has always said that this was the film that told that uh, he when he made this film he said this was the one that uh, reminded him he needed to get his act together and <laughs> get back on because he had lost his way he thought with the underneath and I don't quite see it I think it's a uh, stylishly made it's not perfect but it's certainly involving and uh um yeah so there's there's some stuff to recommend it and if you don't know all the twists and turns uh, you know it's 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 kind of fun yeah there you go that's a kino release and the extras on this one include a audio commentary by film historian peter tonget and a theatrical trailer so uh that is that um slithis from 1978 is another uh Kino release. It's uh, actually Scorpion, but distributed by Kino releasing. So we have that. And we have Man Dobby from 1968, which is a Criterion release. And it's uh, I didn't receive a review copy on this one. I'm not really familiar with it, uh, but it was one of the Criterion titles. And, um, you know, with their normal special edition treatment that they give it, this one's no, no exception. So anyway, but we'll move along to February 23rd, the last Tuesday in the month. And uh, they there were quite a few high-profile titles uh, on this day. And we will start with Pump Up the Volume from 1990, which uh, didn't do well initially uh, when it came out. Uh, got pretty good reviews. I know two thumbs up, Siskel and Ebert, and um, but it became a, a mainstay of cable, cable television, and, and Warner Archive has has risen to the challenge with this new transfer that really looks good. Um, But it's bare bones, right? It is bare bones. That's the only problem. Uh, But, uh, you know, written and directed by Alan Moyle. And, you know, basically the film is uh, about a Christian Slater plays a guy who runs a pirate radio station, and he starts exposing uh, some of the the questionable practices at his high school, and he gets into a lot of trouble there. So... uh, Anyway, uh, it still still works, still holds up. I showed it to my son, who obviously uh, it's kind of interesting to show it to people who are of today's generation and with the technology being so dated, you know, and, and now everybody broadcasts themselves, but you couldn't broadcast yourself back then unless you had special equipment and uh, uh, it was a lot more difficult. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of the funny things because, you know, it makes you th- think of the time in the late 80s and early 90s when there when censorship of music and people was a, a, a real thing like i'm talking about when uh you, you know you had the um music being censored and artists being censored and and uh that that, that type of thing just doesn't happen anymore and it's kind of interesting how that no. that was a big big thing around the time this movie came out now it's become cancel culture yeah now it's cancel culture it's something else but uh 
you know, but they don't take you to court for it like they used to uh, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, instead, it's done in more devious ways sometimes. But um, anyway, so we'll move right along to the John Hughes collection, which is a five-film collection on Blu-ray from Paramount. And basically, it's every John Hughes film that uh, he was involved with at Paramount Studios. And this is, of course, from between the years 1986 and 88. Boy, he was on a roll, wasn't he, during those years? Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's having a baby in some kind of wonderful. And these have all the previous extras. Uh, first time on Blu-ray for She's Having a Baby and Some Kind of Wonderful. Those have never been issued on Blu-ray before. And there's some new special features uh, on the She's Having a Baby. Uh, it's interesting because they have a Kevin Bacon interview with John Hughes. He's actually doing the interviewing of John Hughes. So um, uh, so that's that's interesting. And the rest of these extras are... Uh, Kevin Bacon is interviewing John Hughes? Yes, he is on this uh, extra on She's Having a Baby. And it's pretty interesting. I, I did watch it, and uh, it's, it's, it's very curious. Uh, yeah, the rest of these extras, I think, have previously been issued before, except uh, on the Some Kind of Wonderful Blu-ray, there's a new uh, conversation with director Howard Deutsch on the Some Kind of Wonderful uh, disc. But the rest of these extras are have previously been issued. It's too bad they didn't include the John Hughes commentary from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I think he wanted that uh, taken off the marketplace. He he really was such a reclusive guy, and he grudgingly did a commentary for Laserdisc in the 80s, and it resurfaced on a on the first DVD pressing of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then it was quickly went out of print, and they reissued it without that commentary. I have the original with the John Hughes commentary, and it is interesting to hear him talk about uh, his process of directing and, and such. But anyway, uh, Smooth Talk from 1985, directed by Joyce Chopra. And this is the tale of uh, Laura Dern, star as, as a 15-year-old carefree youth who uh, is uh, uh, heading, heading in on a dark path. And then she, during the last 30 minutes of the film, uh, it's kind of a, an interesting, it's almost like two movies in one. The first hour of the film is... You're getting a sense of uh, how aimless her life is. And then during the last half hour of the film, you get Treat Williams just showing up uh, and t uh, terrorizing her, I guess you would say, for about 20 minutes. And the movie just completely goes in a different direction. And it ends up uh, really with a non-ending that will frustrate people who like conclusive endings. Uh, and I'm among them. I found, I found the ending of the film to just be just... So so poor that it really just gives you a bad, gave me a bad taste for the rest of the film. I had seen it years ago and remembered that I wasn't too keen on it. And rewatching it, I I remembered why. Mm -hmm. But if you are a fan of Smooth Talk, uh, this is the uh, edition for you because as a new restored 4K digital transfer, a conversation among Chopra author Joyce Carol Oates, who's uh, has the, who penned the short story that this is based on. Um, this was from 2020 at the New York Film Festival, moderated by TCM host Alicia Malone. Uh, we have a new interview with Chopra, new conversations between Chopra and Treat Williams and Mary Kate Place, uh, KPFK Pacifica radio interview in, from 1985, a uh, new interview with the production designer, short films directed by Chopra earlier on in her life, and uh, audio reading of the 1966 Life magazine article, The Pied Piper of Tucson, which inspired the short story by Oates. And there's trailers. So uh, Smooth Talk has been issued by Criterion, wow. as has two films directed by Raymond 
Raman Barani. We have Man Push Cart from 2005, his film debut, and Chop Shop, his follow-up from 2007. I, I like Man Push Cart a little bit better than Chop Shop. I feel like, again, Chop Shop suffers from the same thing that Smooth Talk has, and it's an inconclusive ending. Um, but uh, yeah, Man Chop- I, I liked him. Oh yes, but then he kind of he kind of lost his way. But he was a favorite of Roger Ebert, and I yes. remember one time when Roger Ebert kept up a regular blog and responded to every comment and everything. He he actually promoted our interview with uh, Ramin Barani, uh, which wow. was special. My only yes. my only exchange with Roger Ebert. Oh, that's that's definitely a feather in your cap, I would say. Yeah, um, I like Man Push Cart. It is pretty uh, good. You know, it's a, basically about a uh, a former pop singer from Pakistan who's trying to to make a living in uh, in New York City uh, by um, pushing a cart, and uh, so that's essentially the plot. So that he Let's can take see, care old, of the son. older man and the younger. There was another movie I saw of his that I liked that was during that independent period. I think you're talking about uh, Goodbye Solo. Yes. Red West. Yeah. The, uh, guy Goodbye, Goodbye Solo his... is the one that I, I liked as well. Yeah, that's the one that uh, Red West is in. That he was one of uh, he was Elvis's cousin and one of the Memphis Memphis Mafia. Oh wow. He was very, yeah, he was one of the guys that was Elvis one of Elvis's main hangers on who eventually wrote a tell-all book about Elvis during the last year of his life and then Elvis uh, obviously that was the end of the friendship between him and um, Red West. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's that is a good one. You're right. Um, very good. And then Chop Shop, of course, is about a 12 year old who's uh, saving up to get his uh, his food cart. Uh, but he's basically the food cart he's saving up for. He doesn't know that it's that he's basically being ripped off. And uh, it's it's it is a uh, it's a well made movie. But like I said, it, it the ending of it just doesn't offer the closure that I had hoped for. And so Chop Shop doesn't quite do it for me as much as man push cart but anyway both of these have been issued and there's uh, new featurettes uh, new interviews with barani and uh interviews with the talent and uh you know uh, rehearsal footage uh and that type of stuff a 1998 short film that he made called backgammon is on the man push cart uh blu-ray and there's an essay uh on in both of these editions so criterion has done a good job with the man push cart and chop shop the two uh raman barani films there um showboat from 1951 the third version and so far the final version at this point of the uh the musical and this of course starred uh, Catherine grayson ava gardner and howard keel uh and um you know from the novel by edna ferber and then jerome kern and oscar hammerstein did the music and uh this has uh, been restored uh, restored to uh, put on issued on Blu-ray rather from a three-strip Technicolor uh, negative, and boy does it look good! I'm going to tell you that it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, transfer of Showboat. The colors just pop like you haven't seen and probably never with this film. Uh, you know, it's uh, your standard 50s musical, so you know the uh, you, you know what to expect. And if that's your cup of tea, you're going to love it. If not, then you know be warned. But Anyway, there's some great songs there, obviously. Uh, you know, Till the Clouds Roll, Roll By and Can't Help Loving That Man and uh, Old Man River. What more can you say? 
and there are some special features which include a commentary by the director of the film, George Sidney. And you're probably saying, well, how'd they get him? I mean, this movie's, you know, almost, well, it's 70 years old. And, well, the answer to that question is they recorded him for a Laserdisc in the uh, mid-1990s, and he has lively memories of shooting the film. So uh, it may be worth the price for that. So anyway, trailer as well. So Showboat has been issued by Warner Archive and lovingly restored by the the good folks at Warner Brothers Motion Picture Imaging. And Lady Sings the Blues from 1972, the first biopic uh, about Billie Holiday with Diana Ross making her film debut. And it is a great debut. Uh, say what you will about the film, but boy, she's great in this film. Uh, a lot of, I know there are a lot of naysayers who really didn't have a lot of high hopes, but once the film was released, uh, it garnered her an Oscar nomination, and uh, rightfully so. She's good. Uh, the film is standard biopic uh, trappings uh, most of the way. Uh, great performance by Richard Pryor, by the way. I uh, would recommend that. And Billy Dee Williams is pretty good in there as well. And uh, So, you know, there's some things to recommend it. Directed by um, Sidney J. Fury and beautifully shot by John Alonzo in Panavision, I will say that. So, uh, you know, and the musical score is by My- Michael Legrand, which is a kind of odd choice. But anyway, uh, Lady Sings the Blues, issued for the first time ever by Paramount. This includes a couple new extras, or a couple of uh, archived extras. There's a commentary by Barry Gordy and director Sidney J. Fury and artist manager Shelley Berger. Behind the Blues, Lady Sings the Blues, and deleted scenes. Hmm. So there you go. And we have a couple of more titles here. The All Nighter. Remember when they were uh, when they were doing this? Uh, when they were trying to make movie stars out of pop stars in the '80s, and uh, Susanna Hoffs was one of those. And so, anyway, the lead singer of the Bangles. This was her, I think, only uh, starring lead role in a uh, feature film, I believe. It was directed by her mother, uh, Tamar Simon Hoffs, and they. Uh, contribute a audio commentary here, uh, mother and daughter. Wow! Uh, also an audio <laughs> audio commentary by film historian Alexandra Heller Nichols Nicholas. I'm sorry, and uh, a uh, music video and theatrical trailer. I rewatched this and really, uh, it's not. It got terrible, savage reviews when it came out. It hasn't really. Uh, I mean, it's not really a good good movie. But if you're looking for a sweet piece of nostalgia that takes you back to a a uh, a time long forgotten. This is a uh, I don't know. I, there was something nostalgic about it that kind of put a smile on my face, even though I knew the whole time that uh, quality wise uh, <laughs> this movie was lacking. But I don't know. There was just something sweetly nostalgic about it that I really yeah, enjoyed. I never did and, see it. But yeah, you're right. So, after the um, after Prince hit it with Purple Rain, man, they they were trying to recruit the pop stars to make movies movie stars out of them. Yes. Absolutely. And I understand that Cool as Ice has a big cult following. <laughs> it does to some degree, I think. But I will say this, uh, they uh, they issued uh, another one of those from the 80s, which is funny. Uh, on the same day, and Kino released uh, The All-Nighter, and they also released Hard to Hold. Oh. Story Springfield. <laughs> mm. Yes, hard to hold. Now, actually, hard to hold is a little bit better in, in terms of quality than the All Nighter. I'll give you that. I mean, and he had a history. Uh, he had a history of acting, right? Because yes, he did. He was a yes. soap star before he was a pop star, right? Yes, yes. 
and it's uh you know it's uh it's not you know the plot's not going to set the world on fire but i don't know i found it a little bit more uh tolerable from a plot standpoint uh he's you know he's he's kind of fun to watch and uh and uh, his, the love interest in the film played by Janet uh Eilber, uh is uh she's she's pretty good too so you I remember know. somebody posted something on Facebook a few years ago and they were like since I was a kid I always loved Rick Springfield and I went to see him at a show recently and we stood at the back of the stage and he walked out and he just ignored everybody he's just a he's just a big snot and I was like well don't blame him for it. He just don't talk to strangers. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that though. I have heard that that he's he's all business. There are people like that. Who who is the one? Because because uh, I remember going to see Pacino's stage show and, and he was so generous and he I mean he met with me, but on every night that I I because I saw two performances of it and I stood in the back. Uh, to see how he worked the crowd that was standing uh-huh. back. And he was very generous and signed tons of autographs and stuff. And he could tell who the people were who were just autograph hounds that would just take it and sell it, try to sell it. Because oh, yeah. he would sign his name in black ink in the black parts of the poster so it didn't, <laughs> so it wouldn't show up. He was very savvy about that. But he was very sweet with people. And then this person said, yeah, Donald Sutherland just did. I think it was Sutherland. That did a play there and said he couldn't have been ruder. Like he does not oh. go for fandom at all. Yeah, I've heard that about him too, and I know uh, several several of our uh, fellow podcasters have tried to get him on, and he just doesn't respond. Oh yeah, he won't do it. I mean, the yeah. excuse that I got is that he doesn't do phone calls. Uh, oh, you know, oh he, boy. He, he won't do that, and uh, so he's got to find a different excuse now that there's stuff like. Um, Skype and Zoom and all that stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that should be interesting. Yeah. Well, the best well, excuse I, is that he's eighty. You know that he he doesn't know what a Skype or a Zoom is. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I think he's in his mid eighties at this point. I yeah. Think he's, he's he's past it. Yeah. Uh. Well. Anyway, I watched Hard to Hold, and I I did not see it when it came out. I remember very vividly when it came out. I could even tell you the month it came out, which was April of '84. That's how vividly I remember it. But. Um, I uh, did not see it way back then and thought, well, it's probably not that good. But I was, like I said, it was, uh, it wasn't that bad. Um, it has a, uh, it's directed by Larry Pierce, and we'll get to yeah. another one of his films here in just a moment. Uh, but this is the same Larry Pierce who also later made the uh, the biopic of uh, John Belushi, Wired. Uh, mm. <laughs> but we won't hold that against him because he made a truly great film in the '60s called The Incident about a uh, bunch of subway passengers who were held hostage, and that is a fantastic movie. I could not recommend more. This was before Taking a Pelham? Uh, yes. Yes, oh. about seven years it preceded it. And it's all about – it's not about the rescue efforts. It's about the passengers, and they're being ter- – it's basically 90 minutes of them being terrorized. You're inside oh, love the, it. the uh, subway car. <laughs> yeah. 90 so, minutes of anyone being terrorized. I just let – me, let me get to that. It's it's very effective, and it, it, it uh, Ed McMahon is in it. He gives a pretty, pretty good performance. You'd be surprised. Uh, Brock Peters, uh, you have um, Thelma Ritter, one of her last film performances, and um, Jack Guilford, who later would be in Cocoon, and he was the Cracker Jack guy from the Cracker Jack commercials. He's in it. Uh, that is a great movie, The Incident. I, it was released by Twilight Time a couple of years ago. I I, lo- I have it proudly in my collection, and uh, it may be out of print now, but boy, is it good. 
So uh, anyway, he's an effective director, uh, and you know he does okay with hard hard to hold. I think he there's a feature ad here about 11 minutes where he explains the problems they had, and basically they didn't have a script. It was one of those situations where they had to. He said we literally hold ourselves up in a uh, hotel room for about uh, three weeks trying to hammer this script out, just yeah. get it done. And movies like that are really just PR. Yeah, you know, because you're trying to build up a build up a pop star's rep. Yes. Know, kind of build an icon out of them. Yes. And it's interesting that Hard to Hold preceded the release of uh, of Purple Rain by three months. Mm. So uh, it actually got there first. But uh, anyway, so Hard to Hold has a uh, the audio commentary by uh, Brian Reisman and the interview, as I said, with director Larry Pierce. Radio spots in a trailer. So anyway, and we'll move along to the other Larry Pierce film that I was going to mention, and that would be actually two Larry Pierce films on one disc, two for the price of one, and this is from Kino Lorber as well, and that is The Other Side of the Mountain and The Other Side of the Mountain Part 2. Mm. Now, The Other Side of the Mountain was uh, was really a surprise box office, box office phenomenon in uh, 1975, I don't think they had a lot of high hopes for it, and he explains that. Uh, Larry Pierce is here with a 20-minute uh, documentary on a featurette on this uh, as a special feature here. Uh, yeah, it's basically the true story of Jill Kinmon, who was paralyzed from the neck down in the 1950s uh, during a pre-Olympic uh, competition. Bo Bridges uh, was her fellow skier, and they uh, Dabney Coleman is in this. He plays her trainer. And so uh, Bo Bridges and she, they develop a romance. And uh, anyway, it's uh, well played by actress Marilyn Hassett, who plays uh, Jill Kenmont. And just uh, and it's scripted by uh, David Seltzer, who we just I recently yeah. interviewed. Uh, he does an effective job with that, one of his first credits. And so um, anyway, I, I, I like The Other Side of the Mountain. I have a really uh, soft spot for it, uh, as does my daughter and some of my friends. Uh, do as well who saw it back in the day when it came out but anyway uh the other side of the mountain part two was the obvious sequel uh i don't think larry pierce exactly wanted to do it but then uh douglas day stewart was commissioned to do the script he later on went to write officer and a gentleman and he did the screenplay for this one and basically uh it picks up years later when she develops a uh, romance with a trucker played by timothy bottoms in the film and it's, uh, again, very sweetly done. Uh, if you like the first one, you're, you're going to love this one, too. And um, so anyway, the first one uh, was an Oscar nominee for Best Original Song. Olivia Newton-John sings the title theme, Richard's Window, and the, uh, it was penned by Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel, who later who did many TV themes like Wonder Woman, Happy Days, and Laverne and Shirley, and many, many others. So uh, And also famously Killing Me Softly with his song. They did that as well. So, oh, and uh, Ready to Take a Chance Again. Let's not forget that. They pinned that one as well for Barry Manilow. So, anyway, so uh, The Other Side of the Mountain, parts one and two, a double feature from Kino Lorber. And we have a couple more Warner Brothers, Warner Archive titles, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up. We have My Dream is Yours from 1949 on Moonlight Bay from 1951 with Doris Day. Actually, both of these are... Uh, uh, have Doris Day and the My Dream is Yours and on Moonlight Bay. And then we have just, uh, let's see, Shogun's Joy of Torture is a 1968 uh, horror anthology uh, from Japan that Arrow has issued with, uh, it's uh, been, it was very controversial in its day and it has uh, a new transfer, new extras, uh, some documentaries on the making of it. 
Shogun's Joy uh, Joy of Torture from Arrow Video, and uh, just a couple more of those uh, Paramount releases of DreamWorks titles right quick. We do have um, The English Patient. We have Frida. We have Gone Baby Gone. We have Sling Blade. Or some of these are Miramax titles. I'm sorry that uh, they're doing the DreamWorks and the Miramax titles. Paramount's issuing all of these. Chasing Amy, Train Spotting, Sling Blade, uh, Gone Baby Gone, Frida, The English Patient, Shakespeare in Love, Rounders, and let's see. I think there are just a there's one or two others. I believe that might The Queen actually from 2006, and um, I believe that might be it. But Anyway, I think that's all for the month of February and the Blu-ray titles of February.